Hello, I'm Colin Green, and you are listening to Spike Pit. Now, I count myself as very fortunate to find myself in a community of like-minded folks, awesome gamers, DMs, GMs, whatever you want to call them, contributors to the show, listeners, all that good stuff. An amazing, amazing community. And when you put out a call for assistance or some advice, a bit of help with a quandary you may have, you can rely upon them to come up with a response, some wise words, put you back on the straight and narrow, or just compare ideas. Maybe getting a few games here and there. But it really is an amazing community. And in this episode, we hear from some of those folks. We've got new voices, old friends, awesome, awesome contributions. I'm going to get out of the way. Let the people speak out. Absolutely love it. It seems most appropriate at this season of Goodwill to have such a, well, what I find to be a really feel-good episode. So I'll share that with you right now. Hey, Colin. Riley calling. Enjoyed your latest episode, and I thought I'd call in um, with some of my thoughts on your trouble running a superhero game or supers game. Totally agree. Uh, if if you're not immersed in the in the genre, it's super hard to run a game in that genre. Like, how strong are the characters meant to be? What what are the the expectations for what they should be able to do? What are the typical challenges and and tropes that that you should be throwing at, at the players? I think that goes for GM and players as well. When when the players know that the um, the fiction, they can really immerse themselves and and act like characters should. So it's, I, I agree, it's super hard to run run a game like that. And I kind of wish more games had uh, stuff in their rules to, uh, to to help players who are unfamiliar or game masters who are unfamiliar with the with the uh, genre. Um, Things like starting adventures, you run B1 and you learn a whole bunch about what a, dun- a typical dungeon should have. And, and you run the uh, solo adventure from um, Beckme, uh, the basic from Beckme, and you learn the rules and the things that you should do, checking the traps, look, listening at doors, all that kind of stuff. On killing and violence in, in fantasy games, yeah, I mean, I think it's easier to... Uh, to to ignore it's not, it's it's a really hard subject and I I think um, people are are pretty happy and, and they should be happy to uh, just think well it's a game it's it's fine you know people don't actually think it's the right thing to do but we're having fun around the table in a in a fictional game although I think you know some systems um, or, or styles of play can can certainly help that uh, when when combat is super easy you're expected to win and you don't have to think about it but when it's a lethal choice and there's there's real risks involved players might start to think a little bit differently and not just go in their guns blazing and and not care um, and then they can start to interact with these these dangerous factions in in other ways and uh, go about that your last point on convincing someone to play a game that they that they're resistant to i mean it's challenging um i i think you're on the right track with some of your ideas you know 3d6 down the line or even rolling for hit points is not the be all and end all of old school play let them roll 46 down the line drop one uh rearrange if they want 
you could give them a good stat array, max health. I think all, all those things are fine. I think an interesting approach would be just to sit down and say, tell me about the character that you want to play. You know, who are they? What what can they do? And, and go through and, and build a character. Maybe you have to homebrew a, li a little bit of stuff to get that to happen or, or whatnot. But I think overcoming the, the barriers and getting them down to play, then they can see how fun it is or potentially it's not for them and, it, and it's not fun. And you can go, okay, well, it's not for you. But breaking down the barriers to get someone at the table is never going to be a bad thing, even if it's uh, you know, breaking the, the maxims of, uh, of of OSR play or, or whatever. Uh, I'm sure no one's going to break down your door if you uh, don't roll 3d6. Anyway, look forward to hearing the next episode. Keep it up. Bye. I don't know, Riley, man. You seem very confident that the OSR won't come and break my door down. I mean, are you sure? This is the OSR. Are they not known for breaking down doors? <laughs> Especially in dungeons, they love a bit of door breaking down. But of course I jest. I agree entirely. And I don't think I really talked much about the relevance of system when, when you're talking about violence in RPGs. And you make a good point there. If you have um, got a bit more of a squishy character or you're in a a more grim and gritty, tough type of RPG where combat has dire consequences, you probably do think about it a bit more. And it makes sense. It makes sense. Perhaps that's what I need to do. Perhaps I need some games where you feel less casual about the whole business. Food for thought, as were all your other points. First time caller. Riley, it's always great to hear a new voice, especially when it sounds like they're calling or calling in from the other side of the world. The wonders of modern technology. Hey, Colin, Jason here. So with the question you closed out your latest episode on, how do you convince your son to play OSR, you know, basic fantasy, whatever, or should you even do it? And... I mean, I kind of lean to the idea of you shouldn't try to do it because why do you force somebody to play? But this is your son, and this is somebody that's in their formative years to some degree, and you want them to experience different kinds of play, and you want to play this game, and it's a family thing. So I think a little bit of arm twisting is justified here. I, I don't know. Either the... I, I would go with whatever's going to get him to play, so... Either give him a, a stat block, where he whatever you call it, where he can put the stats where he wants, or do 46, drop the lowest, and arrange how he likes, the, how AD&D plays. I would do one of those two things, and that way he can still probably play the kind of character he wants to because he's putting the scores where he wants. 46, drop the lowest, he'll give you decent scores, or if you give him a stat array, that's the term I was looking for. That, that would probably work, too. Normally, I'm not a big fan of stat arrays. Um, our buddy, Carl Rodriguez, has gotten to the point now where they'll roll one stat array and make everybody use that, and I pretty much hate that method with a fierceness. Um, that came about because we were rolling up characters for a game and somebody wasn't happy with the scores they rolled and threw a fit, and so the GM decided, I think it was Arlen Walker at the time, decided 
well, we're all going to use a stat array and that'll make everybody happy. And it did, except for me, because I was happy. I even offered to play the character with bad stats because, you know, so I, I don't know why that, <laughs> why, why that got under my skin so bad. But yeah, I'm not a huge fan of stat arrays. I, but I don't mind playing characters with bad stats. I have a feeling your 15 year old probably wouldn't be happy playing a character with no bonuses, right? That the head were all, you know, zero attribute modifiers or minus attribute modifiers. So 46 down the line or drop the lowest range as you like, or give them a stat array and make them play. It's a family game. Dang nabbit. Have, you know, mandatory family fun. It's a thing. Okay. This call has gone way too long. Don't feel the need to publish it if you don't want to. I hope you have a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays and Happy New Year and all those things. And I will talk to you soon. Take care. And wow, folks, doesn't Christmas seem a long time ago already? Well, it does to me anyway. And a little reminder of it there from Jason. Thank you for the good wishes. And I trust my listeners all had a great time. Sorry for the delay in putting out an episode, but it has been madness madness and mandatory family fun that kind of reminds me of Christmas there's a lot of mandatory family fun going on in our house round about Christmas time and secretly I think people quite enjoy it I, I too I'm not a massive fan of the Statter Race and I think that random character generation is quite a lot of fun but as Jason rightly points out it's not my 15 year old's bag at all. Thanks for the call, Jason. Always good to hear from you, mate. Hello, Colin. This is uh, Michael, first time caller. Just started listening to your podcast and I'm enjoying it. Uh, bummer on your son. <laughs> he sounds like a teen, um, but I think it would be good to meet him halfway, like you're saying with the stat array. Um, allow him to, to cater his character how he wants to get him to the table then maybe when he plays and it's enjoyable, then he might give the uh, the more traditional way a try after that. Who knows? That'd be good. I mean, I I don't have that same level of like tradition, and it needs it needs to be played this way. So I I would be fine allowing him to do something like that. And I suppose one suggestion for making that work is just rolling 3d6 down the line several times and then averaging them out to see what kind of numbers you get. Or just look at some of those pregens that came with OSE and see what stats get used. Either just pull the stats from one particular character or average some of them out and then hand them those values and say, plug them in where you want and then pick your class and go from there. I think that could work and I hope it does work. I hope you are able to play with your family. I, I really do enjoy playing with my girls. Uh, they are younger and I've started, <laughs> I started them out the way I wanted to play. Mwahaha. So now, um, so now they, there is no complaint about what we're playing, but um, maybe that would change down the road when my tastes change and they want to play the old game or, or maybe they want to play something else and I, <laughs> I'm i stuck in the mud. Who knows? But I hope it works out for you and uh, I hope you have a great 
Christmas time and a, a great game with your family. So take care. What a lovely call in from Merck and much appreciated. There is a lot to unpack though. Where do we start? Well, the young fella, he is definitely a teenager and regular listeners from way back will we'll know him. Uh, he, he crops up in the actual plays and I've had him on the show a few times. Sonny's been around gaming for a good while. Um, I did, like Merck mentioned, I did feel that I'd, I'd brought him up on a, a range of different games. And initially, when you start with youngsters, they don't always have that spirit of... Uh, they don't always have good sportsmanship, should we say. And he, he used to get upset when he was younger. He'd get quite emotional. He was invested in games. And if things went badly for him, he, he tended to get a little bit upset. If you get your kids in early enough, you can work with this. And, you know, as they get older and used to this, it, it all settles down. So in that regard, it has worked out. And, and I definitely do, as Merck was saying, recommend starting your kids early, getting them in into all sorts of different games so they can, you know, get to know what they like and, and learn a bit of sportsmanship and understand that you can't win everything and all that good stuff. Just a good reason for getting your kids into gaming. Now, Merck touched also on this idea that tastes change and in fact his tastes have changed. He's gone from playing 5e and, and being quite a devotee of it to starting to f see like limitations as far as he's concerned in the game system and part of the resistance with my idea to, to running this old school game is that he's he's played some basic fantasy and he's he's played old school games before and it's that memory of them that is is colored his opinion this time for me it's nostalgia for him, he kind of views them a little bit as old, kind of broken or bad games. Uh, or, or not so much games. It's really the problem is around character generation, as I, as I mentioned. And we've got some suggest suggestions there. We could roll up a bunch of rolls and take an average, use the pregens, and or a combination of the two to perhaps come up with this stat array. I had a conversation with him earlier today and passed on some of Merck's suggestions and we've, we've come to an agreement that actually, whilst he, he doesn't really like pregens, uh, a stat array would be a fine solution. So this does mean all I need to do now is decide upon that array, give him the flexibility and meet him halfway, as Merck was saying, and he, he's quite willing to play. So I'll come up with a stat array. I've got my daughter on board. I've got him playing. And we're going to bust out the old Western Lands campaign that he's played in before. And I've just got a load of that nice basic fantasy, good vanilla content that I, that I can play. In, and we'll have good fun at Christmas with that. Hey, Colin. Uh, wow, conundrum of getting your kid to play old school D&D. You know, I, <clears throat> I wish I could empathize, but my son's 14 and we're just about to launch a campaign with his eight. Uh, ooh, have empathy for me. I got 10 kids wanting to play. <laughs> so I said, if we're playing with 10 of you guys, it has to be 
some sort of old school D&D because you just can't outrun 5e or Pathfinder or anything like that with 10 players at the table. It's just it's just too much, but these older games are designed for large groups, so we'll go old school. So it's kind of a, yeah, this is what we're going to do. But how do you get them excited about it? I don't know. Um, you know, what do you want to concede to make it fun for the players where it's still you for the DM? I like running old school stuff at this point, and I think I've gravitated to it because it is just easier to run because there are fewer rules and, and, and stuff to remember, and it just it just goes very fast if people just embrace that style of play. As far as giving character options where people can customize their characters, I think there's a lot of stuff you could do. One, I think if you use the standard array from 5e, pluses and minuses, the bonuses and penalties for high and low stats aren't, aren't the same. If you use the ones that are inherent in BX, but you can use that array from 5e, and it'll work just fine for a, a, a competent... Um, Character, they're probably depending on where they put their stats, going to walk away with some some XP bonus when, when they when they gain experience. So that's one thing you can do real easily. Another thing you might do if you're embracing old school essentials is look at the old school essential advanced rules, not not for the uh, AD and D classes, but for its presentation of how to decouple race and class, so that you can have your uh, your four basic classes from from classic basic D and D, but you can let them pick a different race. As far as uh, whether you want to be, you know, an elf, dwarf, halfling, or human, you can you can mix that up a little bit. So there's some options where they pull in some stuff from AD and D, but it still fits with the old school essentials BX. And then if you're interested, let me know. Um, I, I got I've got just a handful of house rules I've I've put together. I, I can shoot it to you in a, in a, in a Google Doc. That's just stuff that you can kind of plug in um, for 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 BX. It kind of gives. Kind of cool little tidbits from from other games, not not just like five e five e stuff, but other old school games like Dungeon Crawl Classics and uh, uh, stuff like that. So be happy to share that. And then uh, the other thing I you want might want to look at beginning, and depending on how much you want to to retool things, is what I'm actually doing with this group that I've got. I'm I'm using Nave. Uh, I know we got a second edition of Nave on the horizon, but I'm just using the old old Nave, <laughs> the original. Uh, and that's how they're building their characters um, in their inventory. And I'm just laying that over old school essentials in terms of we're, we're playing old school essentials, except the you know the characters, the combats and saving throws work like they, they do in Nave. So uh, happy to chat more with you about that. And of course, I, it's all theory crafted at this point. I, I'm going to get it to the table. I, I played one little short session with my son and one of his friends doing it. A few weeks ago, but we'll we'll see how it actually plays out at the table as we get this new campaign launched. But yeah, I don't know. You can always pull in a little bit of modern sensibility, and you still get that old school, fast rules light. Hey, this is a game about managing your resources and your inventory, not which uh, superpower can I activate on my turn this time. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Um, let me know if you if you want any of that stuff. But those are some of my thoughts, and and good luck getting them in, engaged. Um, you know, you're trying to get one kid to play. I'm trying to figure out how to make it work with ten of them around the table. I guess we can continue to compare notes and commiserate. So talk to you later. Bye. Oh my goodness, BJ, you must be mad or a very brave man. Ten, fourteen-year-olds sat around a pretty large table. It would have to be. Playing D&D, super excited. Don't be giving them lots of sugary drinks and sweets now, or that could that could go sideways. <laughs>
Wow, you're a brave man. I'm sure it'd be great fun, but <laughs> rather you than me. I hope it turns out great. And I would certainly love to hear from you how it goes. Share commiserations or, or empathise, whatever. And indeed, share some of your ideas with us. I'd love to take a look. Yeah, I agree. You, you could take a lot from 5e and, and make it old school, make it easier to run. And well, is that not what's happening with the new hotness? that's shadow dark, if you can call it new, I mean, it's been bubbling under the surface for quite a while, and I think enjoying some enthusiasm because the books have gone out now, I held off the purchase, but that'd, that'd probably be a nice crossover, but I, I do quite like basic fantasy for its crossover from, well, you mentioned it's got that old school flavour and, and then blend some newer sensibilities. Um, a, quite a good crossover game, I, I, I think. And I, like I say, I've managed to tempt him now. And the stat array, whilst not my favourite, I'll probably go with the 5e stat array for him. He's familiar with it and has made plenty of 5e characters and been happy with those stats. Nave, it's interesting you mentioned Nave. Um, I've, I've been looking at that again for character gen myself and been putting together a journal with loads of random tables and those knave tables along with the maze rats tables made an appearance and I've got another caller talking about the D66 tables we heard from him earlier on so for now thanks for the call BJ let's hear once again from Merc the Meek Thank you for talking about King's Dilemma. That looks really interesting, and I will look into that a lot more. Uh, in your OSR October episode, I'm listening to you talking about liking D66 tables, and I really enjoy them. One of the main reasons is because you, you get two numbers that you can work with. So you can look at like the, if you roll a two and a six, you could go to the two column and sixth row, or you could go to the sixth column and two row. So you got two numbers to work with and you could choose you know, those two results based on what the situation is. You have a little bit more options there. Instead of rolling, not liking the result and then needing to re-roll, at least you got two choices off the bat. So I like that aspect of it. Take care. My um, love and fondness for maze rats is probably a bit of a standing joke amongst regulars there's out of over 500 episodes now i think it's a rare episode where i don't mention maze rats at least once <laughs> and it's quite right of course you can obviously flip those two numbers about and take your say your roller 26 take your 26 or take your 62 I also like the idea that you could think about any of these dice in a different way and you could limit limit the results. Go with D3 and, and sort of say, oh yeah, if I roll a one or a two, I'm only going to count it as a one and, and sort of only use half a table effectively. So instead of having the 36 results, you could kind of narrow it down 18. There's, there's so much you can do with some really quite simple tables. And I, I just like playing with that. It sounds to me like um, a lot of the people, 
over time that have called in love this tinkering as well. It's a bit of a trope, I think, in the OSR that you have your heartbreaker or you get a rule set and you're constantly looking for rule sets and you're constantly tinkering with them. All part of the fun. It's all part of that lonely fun, I guess, that we, we get involved with. And, and recently I've talked about how you can talk about the meta game at the table and how playing ICRPG, we quite, quite enjoyed some of these rules discussions. But, well, perhaps we didn't so much and it turns out my brother, he likes things uh, nailed down a little bit and a little bit more set and character options and a career path. And, you know, it's different strokes for different folks. But this is all a long way of saying that actually about the only link with what I'm thinking about playing and that last call in is those cuboids, the D6. And it's a dice pool game. And I'm really keen to play Mutant Year Zero uh, Gen Lab Alpha with the anthropomorphic animals. Ah, oh, it's going to be so much fun. It's such an easy book to read as well. I actually blasted through it. The way they've done it is just really clever. I like it. I've, I've read the first one. I've got a PDF of the original game, Mutant Year Zero. I've picked up Elysium which is the fourth in the series. And now, uh, I suppose, the inevitable is going to happen. I'll end up with the, the third book, Mechatron. And that's in a, an underwater setting where the characters play robots. I, I think the first game of this I ever played using the Mutant Year Zero engine or the Zero uh, Year Zero engine was... Forbidden Lands, and I played, I think, two sessions. I want to say, yeah, two sessions of that with the Dungeon Muser, Kev, over on Dungeon Musings. You can actually go and watch those sessions. They were uh, shared on YouTube. And it's a it's a charity channel where we, we, we play games and raise money for Heroes Save Villages. A really worthy cause, and I urge you to go and see some of the uh, amazing content that Kev puts out on there. We've, we've got a regular bunch that meet up. I play every two weeks currently playing Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. But uh, it's a really worthy cause. Raise a, a good amount of money for that charity. And yeah, anyway, Forbidden Lands. And I loved, I loved that game. I loved the simplicity of it. The dice pull. Um, sometimes, and I've heard it said that not everybody likes the fact that you, you need to roll that six on a dice to get a success. And you, sometimes you can have a big old pile of dice and just no sixes turn up. You can then push the roll. But if you've thrown a lot of dice, there's a lot of potential for there to be ones. Uh, and that has its own complications. There's only four stats. I think there's about 12 skills. It's just really streamlined. When the book came out, it got it was a silver any back in 2015 for best rules. Seemingly now, so I, I like Osprey games, uh, especially their board games. And I'm a, I've always said I'm a bit of an Osprey fanboy. Well, increasingly I'm becoming a bit of a Freer Ligan or Free League 
fanboy. Just love their stuff. And it's just so well done. The graphic design and layout, I was looking at the credits, and I can't think of the name of the guy now. I think he's their in-house layout guy, and he just has got such a nice way of laying stuff out. It, I mean, this was a chunky book, and I got through it in a couple of days, and sometimes I really bounce off the rules hard, but it's not crammed in. There's... there's uh, a sensible amount of white space without being excessive. There's just it's just quality stuff. If you've if you've never seen their books, I think it's fair to say all their games have a free introductory starter rules. All that's done well. You always get support and downloads in terms of character sheets and and uh, tracking sheets for the uh, the arcs or the the bases where the characters live. I just, I just got so much time for that company in terms of their design and everything else. I mean, I am, yeah, well, clearly, I'll stop going on because I'm just, it's embarrassing now. It's getting to the point of embarrassment, so I'm going to shut up. So I said I'd shut up, and shut up I will. I'm going to leave you with a message from an old buddy of mine. It's Aaron Clark, the creator of Holmes and Clark, his Heartbreaker RPG, he's getting a little plug-in and more than welcome to do that, of course. Aaron has left a lovely message. I find it to be a real heartwarming tale, really. Most appropriate as we are in the depths of winter, it's cold, and this is a real, real treat. If you want to hear more from Aaron, he recorded a great interview with Jason of the Nerds RPG variety cast not so long ago and his infectious enthusiasm was a real boost at the time I listened to it and, and got me stoked um, and excited about his project so I leave you with the, the calming tale a heartwarming story as I say from my old buddy Aaron Clark Hey Colin, it's Aaron Clark. Merry Christmas. I really hope that you can get some old school D&D to the Christmas table um, around the holidays with you and the kids. I was so blessed and fortunate. I think it was two years ago, my daughter-in-law, or soon-to-be daughter-in-law, said to me, oh, can we play a game after dinner? I said, sure, no problem. I've got some card games. I've got some board games. I've got, you know, what would you like to play? She said, no, no, I, I, we want to play D&D. I said, you do? He said, yeah. I said, okay, we'll play D&D. And, um, and it's become a bit of a tradition. It's really great. I love it. I'm so grateful. That's the best Christmas gift my children could have given me. So that, that being said, uh, it's third year of running coming for us. I hope we get to play D&D with my kids. That would be fantastic. And uh, if not, that would be all right, because I had two years of that. That was really uh, something else. Anyway, um, I will give a, another plug to you for my old school set, my OSR set, my Holmes and Clark. I would be happy to send you a couple of copies of the rule book, printed copies. Maybe they'll arrive in time for Christmas. Uh, maybe not. I could send you digital copies immediately. Anyway. 
I've even got a couple of adventures. I'm working on an old one from White Dwarf from 78. From the master Albi Fiore. Maybe you recognize that name. Maybe you don't. But he was part of the White Dwarf crew way back when. Part of the Fiend Factory, which became the Fiend Folio. Good times, man. Some really great, evocative things from the early days of D&D. Yeah, so I'll plug on that Holmes and Clark a little bit. Uh, it's based on Holmes. It's 3D6 in order. But there is a stat adjustment where you can buy up your strength if you're a fighter or buy up your intelligence if you're a wizard. So in D&D, I don't think stats are really everything. I think it's more about the character and the vision that the player has for the character and, and that shared vision around the table about that character. I think that's where the real enjoyment is. And you, I think you were leaning on that a little bit in your last episode. You know, the fiction that gets created out of the party and the, and the telling of the adventure. That's good times. AD&D 1E has like those five or six character generation methods. I can share those with you. One of them is 46 in order. That's all right. Another one of them is roll 3d6 for each trait six times and take the highest one. Man, that's pretty cool. Another one is roll 3d6 down the line 12 times <laughs> and and take the character of your choice. So you get like a bit of a a um, a pool of characters to choose from. Anyway, uh, you know, I don't think those are really all the answers to getting to play the character that, that maybe your son wants to play. But maybe ask him, what is that character you want to play? Um, my Holmes and Clark set has a, has a method by which characters, when they level up, they can choose, uh, instead of choosing a, an extra hit die of hit points, they can choose some special ability, right? Like maybe I'm a magic user and I want to be able to wear armor when I'm casting. Or maybe I want to do something else, whatever I can come up with, right? Um, so that's, that's, an, that's an opportunity, I think, for that customization, that character creation the way you want. And maybe instead of starting at level one, you start at level four or five. So you have that option to create the, the the character that you really want to play. And and then it gives the player an opportunity to sort of shape their, their vision of their character at the table. I mean, of course, there's a trade-off. Not getting all the hit points I might have gotten as if I always took a hit die, but heck, I could have always rolled a one, right? Holmes and Clark does one other thing is, uh, well, does another thing with hit points. Um, hit points aren't the measure of your life force, but you could certainly play it that way. But uh, once your hit points are exhausted to zero, then all that damage goes into your con and you roll a d20 less than your con, current con to stay conscious. And um, that, that con damage is like those permanent wounds, those broken bones, that, that cut belly, the blinded eye, those kinds of things. And and um, playing with the and working at the table when con damage is applied, you know, both the DM and the players are encouraged to sort of talk about what that wound looks like and what it means for the character. What's the lingering effects going to be? Are they going to be, is it one 
one point of con damage, they just got a thumb poked in their eye, or was it eight points of con damage and they took an arrow in the eye? Those are two very different lingering effects. Um, yeah, so... But you know what, man? Teenagers, that's a tough road. And my only suggestion would be, like, is my, my strategy with my teenage children, who are, who are no longer teens but are in their 20s, is when we were doing something as a family or, or, or even individually, was to invite them. Hey, we're going to play this game. Do you want to come along? Oh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stay in my room and chat with my friends. Okay, that's fine. Oh, hey, we're going to go out to dinner. Do you want to come along? Uh, no, I'll just stay home and order a pizza. Okay. Oh, we're going to go down and walk the park, the dogs at the park. Do you want to come along? Oh, yeah, it's such a lovely day. I'll come along. And I think that for teenagers, that gives them some agency of choice, right? That they get to make a decision. And maybe when teenagers see that kind of stuff happening in the family dynamic, they decide they want to be a part of it. I don't know if that's the case for your for your teens. I know you have some older children too, or at least one older child. Maybe that was your experience when they were teens uh, and not your youngest, but who knows? Anyway, man, I think I'll stop yammering. I'll send you a Discord message and share some of those things I had talked about. And that, as they say, is a wrap. Big thanks goes out to you, the listener, for taking a bit of time out of your day to listen to Old Spike Pit. Take care, and I'll catch you later.